Well, if you know me, if you know my wife, if you know my kiddos, you're not going to be able to go very long and you're not going to hear something about our, uh, you're going to hear something about our pet buck. Uh, We have a chocolate lab. He's 90 pounds and um, he he lives a good life, okay? He lives a better life than a lot of humans, I think, in this world, unfortunately. And there are days I would must admit that I wish I were my dog, all right? And there are reasons why I wish that, he were, that I was uh, my dog. He gets to eat anytime he wants, pretty much. He gets to sleep anytime he wants. He gets to play whenever he wants. Um, the, my daughters just treat him like a king. So often uh, food's brought out to him like he's a king. Not that I'm jealous or anything like that. But in a lot of ways, he's figured his life out. You could say this, that he is, fully lives into the life that he's been created for. Such is the case of rocks and tulips and the trees and the stars. They, they fully lived into the very purpose they've been created for. But my friends, this is not me on more than one occasion. It's complicated being human. It's complicated being me, being you, right? We have decisions. We have actions. We have choices. We have doubts. We have fears. And the list goes on and on and on. I mean, here's a great example of it. The other day, I go to Meyer, one simple task, buy six donuts. I go and I stand there for three minutes trying to figure out what six donuts. I mean, it's a big decision, right? What six donuts? Are Long John cake donut, yeast. You know what I mean? There's a lot of big, a lot of decisions to make, but there's so many different ones that we are, um, that are in front of us all the time. Do we go this way? Do we go that way? And then when we go this way, then there's five other decisions that we have to make. And so we're constantly in a state of flux. We can all agree that it's complicated being human. We face thousands of possibilities, and those possibilities lead to avenues, and those avenues lead to more avenues. And it goes on and on and on, and yet we're trying to find this whole full life thing. We're trying to find out, hey, what is the purpose of our life? Now, thankfully, thankfully, God, he has these steps for us to take in our journey. All of us, whether we're young or we're old alike, he has these steps for us. And we've been talking about these steps. And we've said a pervasive thought throughout this preaching series is you cannot follow Christ standing still. And with that in mind, there's these steps. And we talked about last week, one of the steps has to do with a principle we're calling gospel identity. Gospel identity is this, that we are undeniably flawed and broken, messed up, imperfect people. We are an imperfect church, but we are unbelievably loved. And I'm so grateful for the gospel. Another Another step that we must take, guided by this principle, is this, that a reaching priority means that we can think just as much about outsiders as we do insiders. Could you all just read that out with me? We're going to put it on the screen for you. Let's let's just read that together out loud. Ready? A reaching priority means that we can think just as much about outsiders as we do insiders. And Jesus, he actually describes this principle in the passage we just read. This is a part of a bigger discourse that Jesus would be sharing. It's been called the Sermon on the Mount. It's been called his manifesto. It's been called called his magnum opus, if you will. And it's located uh, right outside of Galilee. It's actually real close to the Sea of Galilee, a fresh water source for Israel. In his sermon, it, it begins on the outset of his ministry. He's just gone through the temptation in the desert. Now he was baptized into his ministry. Now he is at his, the outside of his ministry. And Jesus, he begins, if you look at it with me, he says this, you are the salt of the earth. 
Now, would you follow along with me? Would you circle, would you highlight, underline the word you? Would you do that with me? Now, the Greeks were great communicators. And the reason why the Greeks were great communicators is they would orchestrate their sentences to make emphasis. And so if, if they wanted to put emphasis on a word, they would put the, the biggest part of the word at the big, biggest part of the sentence. And so if you were reading it as a Greek would have read it, you would have read it like this. You are the salt. You are the salt. You and no other. Now here's why I say it like that. And here's why it's such a big deal. Okay, because... Jesus is talking to the religious elite. He's talking to the wealthy. He's talking to those who had a lot of friends or were a lot of very popular, okay? He's talking to the elite of the elite. But he's also talking to the Gentiles. He's also talking to uh, many women there that day. And here's why I say that. Because these uneducated Gentiles and people who are outsiders, these women, they were treated not so kindly. In fact, okay, that the men, the social elite, if you will, uh, the men, they actually would pray this prayer. And I quote in the synagogue, praise you, God, creator of heaven and earth, that I was not born one, a Gentile, and number two, a woman. And Jesus is saying, look, you are the salt. He's saying, look, it's not, you're going to become the salt. He's not saying, you know what, if you do these five things, then you're going to be, no, 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 you right now in your idiosyncrasies and all your failures and all your flaws and all of your uneducation or the fact you're a farmer or you're a woman or a man, doesn't matter. You are the salt. Jesus was making an emphasis of, on the fact that this was their purpose. If you're following along in the listening guide this morning, as salt, we are seasoning. As salt, we are seasoning. I've got here some salt with me. And, and I love salt. How many of you just love salt? How many of you are saltaholic? Every time you get food, you just doesn't matter. How, you don't even taste it. You just put salt on something. That's me. I love a little bit of flavor. You know, as I pour this out on, on this right now, this is salt. And this is good for um, our food. And it brings flavor. And notice a couple of things. First of all, a pile of salt all by itself really doesn't do anything, does it? It has to come in contact with something in order to preserve, in order for it to give flavor and to bring season. Now what Jesus uses this image for, he says, he says, you are the salt, but, but if the salt loses its saltiness. Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, thanks for asking. I'll tell you. Okay. They would, they would mine out salt out of the Dead Sea, and they would mine it from this rock called gypsum salt, okay? And gypsum salt um, would give up this salt granulars. But sometimes the salt would lose its saltiness because it would taste more like the gypsum uh, rock as opposed to salt. And if that was the case, then, then the salt would lose its saltiness, and they would throw it on the ground, and they would just use it to kill weeds so their paths would remain roads. The Romans built rather nice roads, and that's what they would do. And that's why Jesus, in his, work, in his speech here, says it's only good to be trampled under foot. This is where we get the term road salt. No, not really. Okay, but it sounded cool, didn't it? <laughs> but Jesus is saying, look, you have, to, you have to be salty. You have to have a distinct flavor. You're the seasoning for so much, so much greater. Now, here, here's why I say that. And when I look at this salt, 
I think we understand a lot about Jesus, many of us. We understand that he came as a man. We understand that he came and lived a perfect life. We understand that he would die on a cross. We understand that three days later he would resurrect from the grave, proving the fact that he is God, not just a good teacher, not just a liar, not a lunatic, but he is Lord, right? We, we, we understand this, but there's been this shift over time. Uh, and, the, and the shift has been that we, we're going to obtain a lot of knowledge. We're going to ob- obtain a lot of understanding and knowing, and we're going to get infatuated on that. We're going to lose power passion and direction about being transformed. Now, I'm grateful. I'm grateful from the bottom of my heart that we have great teaching. I'm not talking about this church, okay? I hope that I'm faithful to the Scripture. We have really, really good groups that teach the Bible. Hopefully, we disciple people. We have, we have tools at our fingertips. You know, online, you can podcast some of the greatest preachers the world has ever heard and are currently existing. You can, you can download an app called YouVersion, and you can read the Bible on any electronic device you want in any translation for free anytime you want. But my friends, here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about. We have gotten really, really, really good at knowing and not necessarily great at living. I mean, I don't think we do a great job a lot of times at marriage. I don't think we do a really, really good job all the time at, at, at keeping away from consumerism. I don't think we do a really, really good job at loving our neighbor. I don't think we do a good, good job in relationships. I don't think that we're any better than pretty much anywhere else when it regards to porn um, and addictions. The, the, the issues outside of the church are just as pervasive inside the church. This is what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, don't lose your saltiness. And this is so very important because the church, if you're taking notes, the church exists in a culture of extreme pessimism. Our job as salt is to bring flavor to this old, bland, pessimistic, cynical world. Cynical and pessimistic and untrusting. This is our culture today. If you don't sense that, just turn on the TV. If you don't sense that, go talk to somebody. You get it all around you. It just, it just you know, squelches any kind of positive thought. And there's been this philosophy over the years, this inevitability of human progress. There's this excitement, and that's slowly but surely been diffused over time. And I'll give you an example of that. There was this phenomenal philosopher and leading thought thinker. At the time, he was a British author, His name's H.G. Wells. He said this. He said, Can we doubt that our race will presently realize our boldest imaginations, peace in a world more lovely than any golden garden or palace ever known from strength to strength and in every widening circle of achievement? He's he's just, the inevitability of human progress, he said, it it is up and to the right. It's incredible. 20 years later, H.G. Wells, he quotes and he says this, Homo sapiens, as he calls himself, has played out. His depravity has come near to breaking my spirit. The optimism, the inevitability of human progress has played, quote unquote, out, he said. There's that pessimism. Another example, in 1860, there was this book that was written, and it was written, and, and the storyline basically was a group of English schoolboys are shipwrecked on an island, and they create a new society. And the new society and civilization is, is full of love and equality and trust and, and dependence upon one another. And there's this unbelievable community that rises up. That's a good, good read. 
100 years later, 1960, a book was written by um, William Golding, and some of us were subjected to having read this in school. I don't know why. It's called Lord of the Flies. How many of you have read that book and you can't get it out of your head, right? You're like, why did I read this book? It's the same exact premise. The schoolboys shipwrecked on an island. What happens? Yet they, they basically kill and eat each other. I mean, 100 years, and, and, and the pessimism is overtaken, the cynicism has taken our arts and sciences, and the message is basically don't trust in anyone. The trust of pastors, the trust of leaders, it's gone. It's gone. I mean, so much to the fact now that, that I, can t- I, I, can, I can tell you, what, if you were to watch the news tonight, what you're going to hear. Hopefully you're going to get some lunch today, fill your belly, you're going to have a good time, maybe spend some time with family or some friends or whatever the case is. You're going to put your feet up tonight. You're going to watch just a few minutes of the news. Here's what you're going to hear about. I wrote a couple of things. You're going to go home. You're going to learn about someone being murdered and you're going to have some sexual immorality and a dirty politician and maybe those are combined. And then you're going to learn about some food or drug to avoid. This is, this is the pessimism that you're hearing all the time. And you know what? Honestly, you're like, yeah, that's true. And I think you're, you're, maybe you're saying that for the first time. You're thinking, man, why didn't I realize this before? Because you just get numb to it, don't you? You just get numb to it. Now, you may be hearing me, and you don't believe in Christianity. You, you, you're brought here, you're invited, you just decided to stop by today. I'm so thankful you're here. I hope you come back every single week. I really do. I'd love to connect with you over coffee or lunch or dinner. But if you're hearing me today, you cannot deny the fact that if an alien were to come to this earth, and he were to watch the news, or she were to look around, they wouldn't say that things kind of seem to be falling apart on earth. Things all tend to fall apart. You cannot deny that. There is a a continual state and a direction of entropy falling apart. That's I mean, think socially for a moment. How how do you get all the races and all the demographics together? It takes a lot of work, takes a lot of prayer, takes a lot of, hey, let's all be friends. Let's connect. Let's unite as a people. And the minute you stop doing that, the minute things fracture, right? It takes a lot of work. Emphasis, things fall apart. Uh, Think relationally with me. Do, Do good friendships, do good marriages happen or do they take a lot of work? Take a lot of work, don't they? Your wife's not next to you. It's okay, all right? <laughs> Takes a lot of work, right? Think physically for a second. Is, how are things working out for you? Are things getting better in your body or a little bit worse? Turn to your neighbor and be like, maybe a little bit worse, <laughs> right? All of our medical advancements, all of our medicines, all these things, have we changed the death rate? No, we're still one for one. And that's why Jesus said, look, we are salt in a pessimistic world. If salt, Jesus is saying, penetrates, he goes on to then say, then light illuminates. Look at it with me in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill. It cannot be hidden. They all know this in this culture. We don't understand what he's talking about here. See, they didn't have bulldozers back then, and cities would be built, and then they would have another warrior or king or, or leader come along and take over that, that village or town or, or even nation at the time. And, and so what they would do when they would take over another city or area, they would basically set fire to it, or they would basically demolish it and be in rubble, and then they would literally build on top of the rubble. They couldn't remove it. 
So literally, you'd have these cities that would be much higher than the other terrain. Why? Because of the fact that this is the way that they built things. If you excavate and go back in a time, or you, you go around the world and you excavate, you're going to see layer after layer after layer of rubble because of the way that they do it. You cannot hide a city. That's what Jesus is talking about. And then he continues, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. If you're taking notes and you're listening, God, as light, we are revealing. I want you to circle a word with me. It's the word lamp. Lamp. He says that you are the lamp of the world. You know why? Well, according to John chapter 8, Jesus is really making the religious elite. I mean, the, 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 you know, the good, you know, the real good people in the culture and the ones that are, you know, quote unquote, the in crowd. They're, he's making them really mad. And, and, and here's why. There's a picture I want to show you. Have you ever seen one of these before? It's called a menorah. How many of you have seen one of these or seen, heard of one before? Okay, the menorah actually—it's named. It comes from the burning or the bush, um, Mariah. All right, and Mariah is a bush that the old rabbis believed was the very bush that God would put on fire and speak to uh, Moses through. And so in the temple, they would light, have this light called the lampstand that was tall and had a menorah on top, and it was lit and never supposed to go out. They called it the eternal flame. Jesus walks into the temple one day. He looks over and he goes, oh yeah, by the way, I'm the light of the world. And they're like, and they get angry and they want to kill him. And it reveals the darkness in their very hearts. But the point he's making is like, Jesus is the light and we're the lamps. The, the purpose of a lamp is not to rekindle light. It's to display light. It's to carry light. You know that you're a carrier of light. Why are you a carrier of, of light? Look at Jesus said next, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and they glorify, I love it, your Father in heaven. If you're in your listening guide, take notice, it says, salt and light display beauty. Just the other day, I was hungry. It was a little later. My wife and I sat down to watch a movie. It was really good. And I said, I'm going to make a big bowl of popcorn all to myself. So I make this fresh bowl of popcorn. I put butter on it. I put salt on it. And I ate the whole thing. Didn't feel guilty at all. <laughs> felt so good. It was really, really good. And I didn't get down with that whole bowl of popcorn and go, man, that was some good salt. No, I didn't say that. I would have missed the whole point of the bowl of popcorn. You know, it was snowing outside a couple days ago, and, you know, it's turning dark, and all the, the sun had gone down, and I turned a light on in my house. I didn't say to everyone around me, hey, that's a really good light. No, I, I didn't. Why would I say that? That's not the purpose of the, the light. Here's how this connects. I want you to circle the phrase good deeds. Circle the phrase good deeds. Now, the word good that you see Jesus use there, he actually uses a word um, is where we get our word in some ways connected to another word we have in English. There's two words, or two or three, kind of depends on who you talk to, what scholar, but there's two or three Greek words 
that uh, are used in the New Testament for the word good. One of them is agathos, and it means uh, uh, quality, okay? The other one is what Jesus uses here in its word, colossae. And this word, it has to do with, has to do with beautiful. It has to do with beauty. It has to do uh, with the fact that it's displaying splendor. And this is the word he used. And, it, and this word, Colossae, is where we get our word color from. And so it's displaying this beautiful color. And if you're going to see rightly in beauty, you're going be, to need a good light. And right, You're going to use this beautiful light to display this color. If you want to determine black socks from blue socks, right? you need good light to do ever gone to work or somewhere. And you pull your legs, your, your pants, and you're like, wait a minute, I've got a blue sock and a black sock. And then you make sure that no one else sees the rest of the time. I've done that before. But Jesus is saying, I want you to display my beauty, my color to all around. I want you to display, I want you to activate the kingdom in your life. If you're light, it should be so beautiful that it exposes darkness for what it really is. And I'm not talking about preaching with a, your finger pointed out, but it should just, your life should just be just this unbelievable antithesis to the pessimism in our culture. It should expose the untruth. Your life should reveal the gossip in your office. Your life should uh, reveal the racism in your neighborhood or in your family. Your, your life should reveal the dishonesty in business practices. Your life should reveal the corruption in your political area. Your life should reveal the promiscuity at the party that you've attended. Your life should, should reveal racism and declare it for what it is, racism. And it's, it is not accepted. It's not God's kingdom. By the way, you treat others. Your light, your, your light should reveal the beauty of God's kingdom. And if we look at this reaching priority, we look at this, this principle, it should be our guiding step for our life. How do we apply this? What does this look like practically for, for you and for I and our life? The first one, I want to give you three real quick. The first one is this, unleashing love and compassion to your neighbors. Unleashing love and compassion. Jesus gave a, gave a great example of this in his ministry. He had this guy come up to him. He's a lawyer. He's very wealthy. He's very intelligent. And he asked Jesus, well, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you do this? And who is my neighbor, by the way? He's trying to, he's trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll tell you. And he gives him a story. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the same road. So this is... This is a pastor. Happened to go down the same road, and we saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came, well, a Levite's supposed to be a very religious individual. When he came to the place and saw him pass by the other side. But a Samaritan, the lowest of the low in that culture, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you take on. Jesus is saying, you know what it looks like to unleash compassion? Well, first of all, you got to get off your donkey and you have to see what should be, what could be. Some of you are starting to get that right now, okay? <laughs> all right. But literally, that's what Jesus said. He said, get off the donkey. <laughs> okay. You got to see what could be and should be, and you need to unleash compassion in that way. 
A great example in, in the Bible was this, this lady named Dorcas. She had such a passion for compassion that what she would do is she would make clothes for the needy and for the poor, and she distributed them for all these people. In fact, that when she died, she was memorialized, and the disciples would actually say, hold up all the clothes that Dorcas made. And in Acts chapter 9, it talked about them celebrating her. But see, modern-day Samaritans exist as well, my friends, not just back in the day. I want to introduce you to a guy. His name is Joey. I'm going to put a, a picture on the screen of him. This is Joey, and, and Joey works at Dairy Queen. This happened a couple years ago. And Dairy's working behind the count, counter at Dairy Queen, and he's got a couple people waiting for, to take orders and to get their food. There's an individual who's impaired, and he kind of struggles physically to, to move correctly. And then there's a woman behind this man, and this man is fumbling in his pocket, and he pulls out a bunch of money to pay for the food, and he drops a $20 bill, but he doesn't know he drops a $20 bill on the ground, and he's starting to pay. Well, Joey sees the woman behind the man, notice the man doesn't know, she picks up the $20 and puts it in her pocket. Joey sees what could be and should be, and he says, hey, lady, can you please give that $20 back to the individual, that man, please? She refuses. Joey then says, you need to leave this store right now. You need to get out of Dairy Queen. She is mad. She walks out. How dare him? And then Joey reaches into his own pocket and gives $20 to the impaired man. Another customer sees it, is so blown away by the individual that he calls Dairy Queen's headquarters and says, you will not believe this guy named Joey. This is what he did. And then a message was sent to literally Warren Buffett himself, who his company owns Dairy Queen, and Warren Buffett personally calls Joey to say, that is what I'm talking about. He unleashed compassion. Joey, you could say, got off of his donkey and was able to care for the needs and saw what could be and should be. He was demonstrated a reaching priority. You see that? Yeah, I want to be that kind of individual. I want to do that for others. The second one, how it fleshes out in our own life is just this, give your gift. Give your gift. That you've been given a gift and you are to give it. And when you give it, you're able to love and love outsiders just as much as you love insiders. I want to try something real quick in just a moment with you, so get ready. Uh, but you know that there are outsiders that step through our doors every single day on our campuses. You know that. That every single day, somebody's going to step into our doors. Right here, there's somebody who's never been here to Graceland before, and they're asking these questions. Am I going to like these people? Are they going to like me? Do I know where to go? Is anyone going to stop and talk to me? Is anyone going to include me in their conversation? Is anyone going to get to know me for who I am? They're asking all these questions, and here's why I know that. Because at one time, I was that individual myself. They're going to be asking these questions. And when you give your gift, you can include and reach just like Jesus, and demonstrate salt and light in the world. So here's what I need you to do. We're going to try this out, okay? When I say something that relates to you, I need you to hold your hand up, and I need you to keep it up, okay? Here we go. Let's try it out. If you're good with your hands, if you like to build things, if you like to construct things, if you're a handyman, if you like to do things around the house or whatever the case is, hold your hand up just and keep it up. All right, now we're not taping this, all right? So don't worry about it. I'm not going to sign you up for anything. Okay, keep it up. If you love kids, if you love to mentor kids, or you like to volunteer, you like to hold babies, or you just love to walk alongside of children, hold your hand up. Keep it up. If you love to welcome people, if you love to say hi, if you love to connect people, uh, if you love to just demonstrate people that you, they are cared for and they are loved, hold your hand up. Keep it up. If you love to sing or play or you're creative or you love the 
creative elements of this life. Hold your hand up. Keep it up. Keep your hands up. Okay. If you love connecting with people, you just love to have people meet other people, hold your hand up. If you're introverted and right now you don't want to hold your hand up, all right? <laughs> hold your hand up. Keep them up, all right? If you love sports, all right? Hold your hand up. If you love to pray for people, hold your hand up. If you love uh, to reach out to the, to, the, to the the people in this culture who do not have anywhere to go, hold your hand up. If you Look around. Look at all the people holding their hand up. We all, you can put them down now, we all have a gift to give, friends. There are no small gifts. None. You can give. And you can see lives changed. The third one is this, is to invite a friend to engage in conversation. To invite a friend to engage in conversation. I have a a good friend of mine who was engaging in conversation with this one individual, his name was Chris, and, 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 and people have been light and people have been salt to Chris for a long time. Finally, they say, hey, why don't you come? Why don't you come? And, and I'm leading this service. And Chris that day at that particular service, God met Chris. And Chris's life was changed. He became a Christ follower. He said yes to Jesus Christ. He understood that, G, that, that Chris was, he, Chris understood that Jesus loved him and that he died for him and that he wanted to resurrect his life and, and create a whole new life and that his past could be in the past and he could be set on a completely new trajectory for his life. His life could be transformed. Chris says yes to Jesus Christ that day. His life has changed. But a year ago, I had a conversation with this guy and with a completely different sounding voice, he says to me, thank you, Ray, for introducing me to Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, the, the one that's changed my life. I said, Chris, I'm so just glad to be on, your, on the journey with you. There are other stories like these. Just recently, there was a couple in our church. I love them to death. They, they, came, they started coming to Graceland just a, a couple years ago, right when I first came to Graceland. And, and they, they, they're just so missional in nature. They want to be salt and light. And they invited this one friend of theirs to one of our Christmas services, okay? We have Easter coming up. You want to invite people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and what they can, God can do in their life. And they started uh, walking alongside of this one guy. And, and, and I asked, could I share his story? And so they, they, they said, yes. I'll just share a few words. He said that my life was without Christ. You know, I, but Christ has always been watching and waiting for me. He says, I, it, was, it was me that had my eyes and ears closed to him. I took credit for all the good in my life. I blamed God and everyone else for the bad. I was an alcoholic, a drug, a drug addict, and a sinner. My wife left me. I hit rock bottom. And then it was at that point that I asked God's help. And I have no doubt that now God has been guiding me over these years. And the reason why I share this story is because this man, he went public in his faith just a few weeks ago. It doesn't get better than that, right? It does not get better when, than when you see somebody whose life you've been pouring into, who you've been salt, who you've been light to happen. Don't live a no salt, no light existence and become a part of the problem and the pessimism that dominates the world today. I have a challenge for you, and that is for you to walk outside and walk better than what is currently apropos for the whole world. We ought to be salt and light for God's sake, that you are a lamp, that you are to be set apart, that you are to go and show the love of Christ. 
H.G. Wells, he would put all of his hope on earthly men. Would you put your hope on your heavenly father? And would you see in the light of all the darkness a beauty that is displayed through the love of Jesus Christ? Our job, look, it's not conversion. It's conversation. It's sharing Christ when God opens the door. Sharing, you know what, this is what God did in my life. It's not to shove anything down anyone's throat. But our job, ladies and gentlemen, our job is to be light. And every now and then, if we pray and we're persistent and we keep focused, we get to see and be a part of a conversation where they say to you, I'm so glad you introduced me to Jesus. It doesn't get better than that. Let me say it again. It does not get better than that. As salt, we are, be, we are to be the preservative in a rotting world. As salt, we are to bring the salvation of God into this world. As salt, we are to be the seasoning of so much more. Let me ask you a question. Is your life, is your life, is your life cre creating thirst for God and someone else?